0: Ephesians 1 in verse 15. As we come to Ephesians 1, 15, we come to a place where Paul begins to pray for the church of Ephesus. Now there's actually two, what's called prison prayers of Paul in the book of Ephesians. One is in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. The other is in chapter number 3. But when we come to this one in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul's trying to now take all those truths we looked at from verse 3 through verse 14, all those truths about who Christ is, who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, all the truths about God's perfect will through Christ, through adoption, through salvation, redemption, and all those truths. And he's now going to begin to pray for the church of Ephesus that the Spirit of God would break light on them concerning all those truths. And those truths would be more than hidden knowledge, but would be revelation to their lives. In other words, they'd begin to walk in the truth in which he shared in verses 3 through 14. And so this is the essence of this prayer. Now, I'm going to be up front with you. I have a message that I preach uh, uh, on this prayer at a lot of revivals. And um, it's a message on the whole... Prayer, verse 15 uh, through verse 23. But yet at the same time, as I began to look back over this for this series of messages through Ephesians, I began to realize that we needed as a church family to go through this on a lot slower basis because there's so much truth embedded in this. I told you this morning, if you want to know what you can pray for me, this prayer is it. If you want to know what I'm praying for us, this prayer is part of it. And so I want us to understand fully what Paul is praying here. It's amazing what Paul prays and asks God to do for this church of Ephesus. So wherever you are, if you can or will, if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. And I'm going to read this whole prayer, but we're only going to look at verses 15 through verse 18 this morning. The Bible says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Father, I pray that, Father, you would take this prayer and, Father, you would etch it within our hearts Father, I pray it would be a desire for ourselves. I pray it would be a desire for each other. I pray it's a desire for our church family that, Father, we desire and we hunger and we cry out to you for understanding, wisdom, and experiential knowledge to walk in these truths. So, Father, would you etch these in our hearts for your glory, and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want us to look quickly. I want to touch on verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16 very quickly. I want us to look first at the praise of Paul. Paul begins here in verse 15. He said, Wherefore, also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints. So why did Paul praise? Now, I want you to understand. He's praying for these Ephesus that are saved. Now, you say, Listen, if you didn't believe they were saved, He already told them. He's called them saints. He's called them redeemed. He's called them as adopted into the family. And so he's praying for these saved saints that they would have this wisdom and understanding. But he's grateful for them because of what he's heard, the testimony he's heard. What did he hear? Well, he's grateful for their confident faith. Their faith was centered in the person of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't centered in in their ideas. It wasn't centered in what they thought was best for the church. It wasn't centered in any of that. It was centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. The greatest place God can ever get us is to quit trying to focus or trying to have confidence in what we think is right and get confidence in what God says and what God says alone. But also, you see, he's grateful for their caring love. It says, the love unto all saints. In other words, this was a church that simply had a deep affection one for another. Now, I want to make this statement, and I'm going to move on. First John makes it very clear that if we don't have a desire to love the brethren, we know not God. And so we need to understand I have a deep, deep, deep problem with folks that say, hey, I love God, but don't want to be a part of his family. Don't want to be a part of fellowshipping with his people. I want to tell you something. There's something hypocritical about that. And it shows the falsehood of their profession. Because listen, if you love God, you're going to love his people. And you're going to love the things of God. And this church had a testimony of love to all saints. But I want you to look secondly at the praying of Paul. Notice what it says. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now I want to break this verse down just a moment. This word, making mention of you, and this word, cease not. It speaks of a continuous act of prayer. In other words, this wasn't something Paul prayed in a fleeting moment. It wasn't something Paul prayed on occasion. It was something that Paul prayed continuously as God continued to put this upon his heart and upon his mind. And Paul continued to cry out to God for these truths concerning this church of Ephesus. So as we walk through these truths, I pray that you'll take these truths, you'll put them to memory, and as you put them to memory, listen, one of the greatest things you can do is pray back to God, the Word of God. And there's no greater place to start than right here with the Apostle Paul's prayer. If you study Paul's prayer, here's what you're going to find out. He never prays for a stump toe. He never prays for a broke arm. He never prays for health issues. He prays for the spiritual issues of the church. Now you say, preacher, are you saying there's something wrong with praying for the physical? I'm not saying that at all. But I want to tell you something. There's something wrong when we spend 90% of our time praying for physical needs. And we don't pray for the spiritual needs of our brother in Christ. And Paul dealt with the spiritual aspects of this. Continuously, he cried unto God. But notice it was a controlled act of prayer. You say, what do you mean? This making mention is in passive voice. And it means that someone operated up on his behalf to lead him and guide him to pray. Here's the great thing about prayer. Prayer is not me praying what I think I need to pray. Pray is me getting in the flow and fellowship with God. And God speaks to me about what to pray. And I pray back to him what God initiates for me to pray. So where did all this come from that Paul prayed? I want to tell you where it came from. The Spirit of God spoke to Paul's heart. The Spirit of God burdened Paul's heart. God continued to put upon his memory. And as God continued to burden him, he continued to cry out to God. Exactly what God wanted to do in this church of Ephesus. Prayer is controlled by the Spirit of God. And you and I need to understand, there's nothing wrong with prayer list as long as God initiates that list. There's nothing wrong with praying. As as we go about our day, we need to pray without ceasing. That just simply means having a chronic cough. In other words, as you go continuously, you fervently cry upon the Lord. But can I tell you, whether you're working, whether you're doing your job, whether you're talking to somebody, the Spirit of God can still communicate to you and burden you about what to pray. And our prayer life ought to be controlled by Him. And that's what it says here in verse 16. Well, that's all the introduction. I want us to look now at the petitions of Paul. I want you to look at exactly what Paul continuously prayed as the Spirit of God moved upon his heart. I want you to see first, it's a cry of intimacy. You find that in verse number 17. Now, as I said before, he's asking here in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto them the Spirit of wisdom and Revelation. And you say, well, wait a minute, why would he be praying that God would give them the Spirit of wisdom if they're already saved? I mean, doesn't the Bible say, as a saved person, we have the mind of Christ? Well, it does, but here's the reality. As we grow in grace and knowledge, God continues to give us wisdom upon wisdom, understanding upon understanding. And so he's praying here for these saved folks. Now what? They're already faithful in the Lord Jesus. They already have a deep love for one another. Hey, this is not a church that's in trouble. This is a church that's thriving. But yet Paul says, hey, I'm burdened that you understand. And you know and you grow in your understanding and wisdom. And so he prays that God would give them the spirit of wisdom. Not give them the spirit, but give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what's the object of this intimacy? If Paul's crying out for intimacy, that Ephesus would be an intimacy with the Father. What's the object of this emphasis? Well, there's a great debate going on in scholars about verse 17. The object of this whole prayer in verse 17 is intimacy with God. Now you say, wait a minute, isn't it intimacy with Christ? no. The context here is intimacy with God. Look at it real closely with me. That God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who's the focus? It's Him. The Father of glory. God the Father. May give unto you. Who's giving it unto you? The Father. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of Him being who? God the Father. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought my intimacy was to be in Jesus Christ. Hey, here's the reality of it. How do I have intimacy with God the Father? I can only have intimacy with God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. But yet my intimacy and and the object of this prayer is to have intimacy with God the Father. Can you imagine God who needed no one, needed nothing, would even desire to have fellowship with us. But not just fellowship with us, but intimate fellowship with us. Moment by moment, day by day, commune with us, and us commune with him. Isn't it amazing that God wants to have that kind of intimacy with us? And I believe with my heart, the one thing, there's many things, but one thing that I see missing in the church in America, missing in the pastorates today in America, is a walk of intimacy with the Father. And folks, this is exactly what Paul is prayed. Why is he praying this? Because Paul understands that all these truths in verse 3 through 14 will never be reality in their life, never be experienced in their life until they have a deep, deep, intimate walk with God. And so he prays that the object of their intimacy would be the Father. Now, let me make this statement real quick it's not just mere intimacy to be acquainted with him. Oh, it's not that at all. I want to say this. Our life as a Christian can be absolutely tied to our intimacy with the Father. And I'll say it this way. If you and I are not walking in an intimate fellowship with him, it will show in our lacking in our Christian life. You know, I find it amazing that... Every day that I, if I have a day where I struggle in the spiritual realm, I can almost trace it back to that morning where I didn't spend the quality time that I needed with the Lord. It's amazing when you and I start waning in our fellowship, waning in our, in our prayer life, waning in our Bible study, how we begin to revert back to those things that were true about us before we were saved. And all of a sudden, our flesh begins to kick in. And all of a sudden, that carnal way of thinking begins to kick in. And so Paul's saying, listen, Evan says you're faithful, you love, but all oh, that God would give you, intimacy with him. And that's the object. So what's the obstruction to intimacy? In other words, what keeps us from walking in what Paul is praying here? Well, I want to give you two things, pride and self-sufficiency. In other words, when you and I are talking about intimacy with a Father, we're talking about coming to a place where the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ in us has free reign and the Word begins to enlighten our minds begins to open our understanding but one of the great tragedies today is this are we teachable are we men and women where we can we can really say as donald just sung word of god speak word of god speak are we people that we only want to hear what we already think we believe One of the great tragedies that will keep us out of this intimacy is pride and self-sufficiency. Let me show you this in Scripture. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. In other words, what the Lord said, these truths... These amazing truths. He said, God, you've hid them from the wise. You've hid them from the prudent. Oh, but you've opened them up to the babes. You've opened them up to those that are humble. You've opened them up to those that are absolutely at infant stage of their learning. Can I tell you something today? God tries to keep us every day of our life. God's going to keep you humble. God's going to keep you to a place where you understand the more you learn about the Word of God, the more ignorant you feel like you are because God's always showing you more and more. Isn't it amazing we can go to the Word of God? Study the passage 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. And all of a sudden, we open it up, and it's as if we'd never seen it before. What is God doing? God's reminding us that we work, look through a glass dimly, And God's always growing us in this grace and knowledge. Proverbs, verse 3, 5 and 6, y'all know this verse well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on your own what? Understanding. In other words, if I am going to... Trust in God with all my heart. I can't lean on my own understanding. I can't lean on my own wisdom. I can't lean on my own way of thinking. Oh, we think we've got everything figured out. We think we've just got it all figured out. But i got news for you. It don't matter how wise or how smart we think we are. Here's the reality of it. In light of who God is, we are people in desperate need of understanding. And he goes on to say, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. This, my friends, is what will keep you from walking in what Paul is praying here. You and I must come to the place where we realize that every day, every minute of my life, I need to hear from him. I I find people along the way, occasionally, who they? God's done a work in their life, and God uh, seems to be continuing to do a work in their life, but all of a sudden it builds up into a spiritual pride. And they think they have this obligation to correct everybody that comes along. I got news for you, folks. Won't you entrust them to God and let God take care of it? Now, it's not that iron don't sharpen sharpeneth iron. It's not that we ought to go to our friends and our, and our fellow Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and in a loving way try to help each other it's not that at all but sometimes if we're not careful as God breaks light on us we'll become more confident in what God has showed us that we'll lose perspective in what God wants to show us and we'll start dwelling on what God has showed us and all of a sudden we'll start getting puffed up in our mind of what we know But until you get to the place where God keeps you teachable, these truths will never be true in your life. Well, let me show you the third aspect of this cry of intimacy, the outflow of intimacy. Watch what it says. It says here in verse 17, Give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation is the awareness of truth. It means that the Spirit of God breaks... Open the Word of God. Makes you and I aware and knowing what the Word of God is saying. Wisdom is the other aspect of it. It's the other side of the coin, if you will. Revelation gives me understanding, awareness of truth. Wisdom gives me the ability to apply and walk in that truth. You see, it's one thing to have knowledge. It's another thing to have wisdom. Let me give you an illustration that will help you. All of us would understand just by our mental capacity that if we stick our hands in a fire, it's going to burn and it's going to hurt. But let me ask you a question. Who has more knowledge of this? Someone that has never stuck their hand in a fire but knows it's going to? Or someone that actually has stuck their hand in the fire? You see, here's the principle that Paul is unveiling here. This wisdom and Revelation is in the knowledge of Him. Now, what is this word knowledge? It's epinosis, full knowledge, full understanding. In other words, it's not me knowing about Him from an educational standpoint. It's me knowing Him from an experiential standpoint. It's me understanding God and knowing God through my intimate walk with Him, my intimate fellowship with Him. It's God manifesting Himself to me, and God manifesting Himself through me. It's God who's doing a work in my life on a daily basis, and I, I experience His communion. I experience His love. I experience His forgiveness. I experience all the character and natures of God. Graham Scroggie makes this statement. He says revelation makes wisdom possible. And wisdom makes revelation practical. And I think that's a great word. So where is this word, full knowledge, epinosis, where does it come from? Let me give you another place that it's found. Maybe it will help you understand it. Verse Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in itself. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Same word. So what does it mean? The law makes me fully understand the ramifications of my acts of sin and my sinful nature. In other words, when God showed me I was lost, I want to tell you something. For the first time, I saw the depth and the horror of my sin. My understanding that sin was bad went to a place where now I experience the remorse, the sorrow of my sin. And all of a sudden I came to a full understanding of my sin. So here's what Paul's praying. That God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You'd have revelation to know. You'd have wisdom to apply. Why? That you would know fully Him being God the Father. You would know him fully. You would know him experientially. Let me ask you a question tonight. How much of God do you want to know? How much of God do you want to experience? Do you just want enough of him to get you to heaven? Do you just want enough of him to get you through the day? Do you just want enough of him to get you through this week or get you through these months of all this that's going on in our country? Or are you hungry and thirsty to know him in all his fullness? I want to tell you something. I believe that's the heartbeat of a child of God. Colossians 1.10. That we might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I remember when I was playing golf, literally... For a living, even though I wasn't making a living financially, it was really my life. When I was playing college golf, and even after college, when I uh, left Walmart and me and my dad went into business together, golf was my life. And I strived, and I strived, and I strived every day, beating range balls, and hitting balls, and practicing on the putting green. Why? Because I had a hunger to be as good at golf as I could possibly be. But here's what I found out about it. It took desire, it took time, and it took costing me a lot of things in my life. And I want to tell you something. When God gives you revelation and wisdom, That desire to know him in his fullness, to know him in experiential knowledge is something that will take you time, take you desire, and it will cost you some things. But here's the reality. The end result is far greater than any sacrifice you could ever make. So what you find here is you find The cry of intimacy. Now look at verse 18. I want you to see the second thing that Paul cries for this church of Ephesus. The cry of illumination. Verse 18, he takes it one step further. And let me say this just for saying it. Until verse 17 is true, verse 18 will never be true. This is progressive in what Paul prays. But verse 18, he takes the next step, and he says, That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, I want you to look first at the seat of illumination. What do you mean, the seat of illumination? Let me read this how it reads in the original language that the eyes of your heart being enlightened. This word understanding here is translated 159 times as heart. It's a word that speaks of the place, the the seat of our understanding, the seat of our illumination. In other words, your heart encompasses your mind to think with, your, your emotions to feel with, and your will to act with. And so what Paul's praying here is that your mind, emotion, and will, your mind would be enlightened, your mind would be turned on, if you will, to the truth of your hope and your riches in Christ. Let me give you the second thing, the source of illumination. Who breaks this light on us? Well, it's God the Father through God the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God through God the Father that breaks light upon us. You see, here's what I'm coming to find out more and more in my journey. As much light as God has given me, I'm realizing I really don't have much light at all. And I'm finding every day of my life, God's trying to break light on me more and more and more and more and more. I mean, the picture here is so picturesque. It's almost like Paul is praying this. God, would you reach in their hearts and turn the light switch on? I mean, let them know. Let them understand what all this is. Let them understand what you've done for them. Let them understand who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. Let me show you this. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians in verse number 9. Listen to what Paul says to the church of Corinth. But as it is written, I have not seen, neither, or, or, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart. Same word used for understanding in that passage we're looking at. Neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that loved him. Let me ask you a question today. If you think you have what you need, guess what? God's got so much more for you. You don't even have a clue how much more God wants to show you about himself and about his word. And the Bible says, but God hath revealed them unto us. How? By his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us in God. The spirit of God is the source of our illumination. Now here's what's amazing about this passage. When Paul prayed this for Ephesus, he prayed it in this way, that the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, Now you say, wait a minute, preacher, is he going to give me light or have I been lightened? Yes! It's it's in a tense, it means something that happened in the past, but the effects are ongoing all through their life. And, And so what it's saying is, when God saved you, he gave you the Spirit, and God turned the light on. And here's what God's doing. He's making the light brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter as you go. It's a glorious truth. Notice thirdly, the shining of illumination. This word enlightened is a Greek word that means to give forth light or to cast light upon. The idea of the word is God's shining truth within our hearts. God's shining truth upon us. And our heart becomes enraptured with that truth. And our heart becomes captivated with that truth. As God turns the light on, And God continues to manifest that light. Folks, you need to understand, I need to understand what Jesus said when he said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness for they shall have the light of life. The day God saved you, God turned that light on. But let me ask you a question. Does the cares of this world tend to dim that light in your life? Does the cares of of your busy schedule tend to dim that light in your life? I want to tell you something. God turned a light on when he saved us, but he wants to keep it bright. Every day of our life, he wants to keep it bright. He wants to show us more and more and more about who he is and what he's done. The Bible says that we're children of light in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Bible says we're to walk as children of light in Ephesians 5. And so the shining of illumination. God gives us light to walk in what we have. Notice nextly the strength of illumination. Watch what it says. It says the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling? So what's one of the things God wants to continue to sharpen in your life and in my life? The hope of his calling. Now here's the thing. The word hope here doesn't mean, oh, I hope it'll take place. Oh, no. It means a absolute confidence of faith. I am sure and I know it's going to take place. So what am I to be sure about? The hope of his calling. What is this calling? It's the call to salvation. You say, well, why do I need to know? Why do I need to have more light concerning the call of my salvation or the surety of my salvation? Because there's nothing that will take away your spiritual vitality quicker than when you have to continue to go back and deal with your salvation over and over and over again. You see, if you know who you are in Christ and you know who Christ is in you, then you'll know whether you have been walking in the truth of salvation, whether salvation is true of you. You and I need to understand, he's called us, the Bible says, unto the kingdom and glory. Isn't that amazing? 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, he's called us unto his kingdom and glory. Listen, he's writing to Gentiles, and he said, I've called you to a kingdom and glory. He says to us in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's called us unto holiness. All this is encompassed in our salvation. In other words, if I understand the hope of God calling me unto himself, if I understand the hope of God bringing me to salvation, I understand that that salvation involves his glory. It involves walking in holiness, walking in obedience to his word. Romans chapter 4 verse 18 who against hope believed in hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope that the power of the Holy Ghost. But look with me at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Ephesians 2, 12, that at that time you were without Christ, speaking of before God saved you being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. You see, if you don't have hope, you don't have Christ. And so what he's saying here is, here's the great contrast. God wants to enlighten you to the hope of his calling, the surety that you say, but at the same time, he wants you to understand that there's a contrast to it because the world don't have this hope. He can't break light on a world that don't have the hope already. But God wants to keep enlightening us to the surety of his call upon our life. Why would God call us to himself? Well, that's a question that we'll never know fully until we get to glory. We know he does. We praise God that he does. But if you ask me why, I'll just say this. Well, you can say, well, the Bible says that we can be the glory of Christ here on this earth. That's true. The Bible says that he could work through us, that he can reach the world. That's true as well. There are so many answers we could give, but folks, honestly, Knowing what God knew about us, why in the world would he call us unto himself? It's an amazing thing. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything that can strengthen and edify you more than having the assurance that you've been called, the hope, the surety that God called you to himself and you said yes? I mean, it's a great strengthening. But notice, lastly, the sufficiency of illumination. Well, I want to tell you, this last part is so rich. It says that we may know what is the hope of his calling, but notice this. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, I want you to see the progressive nature here. This verse as well is, is progressive. In other words, you must have the understanding, the enlightenment of your calling before you'll ever have the enlightenment of the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And then, if you look at verse 9, until you come to the place of having understanding about the riches of the glory and inheritance, then will you understand the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. The word what connects these as progressive in their nature. Now, I I dealt with this term inheritance previously when we looked at adoption. So I'm not going to address it much again. But I want you to just be reminded of one thing. Notice how it reads. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, you remember when I dealt with adoption, I said that there's a dual inheritance. There's God's inheritance in us and our inheritance in Christ. Now you say, what do you mean? Well, what is God's inheritance in us? What is the glory of this inheritance that's in us? Can I tell you it's Christ? So what's our inheritance in Him? It's Christ. So guess what? It's a dual inheritance. God has an inheritance He placed within us, His Son. We have an inheritance. We're a joint heir with His Son before God. But do we understand the riches, riches of that inheritance? Do we understand the the wealth of that inheritance? The wealth and the glory that's contained in that inheritance. Glory points us to a life working in us. That's His portion. That's God's portion. But riches speak of an experience of Him through us. And that's our portion. So what is the glory of God in us? Christ. That's his inheritance. So what's our inheritance? Christ living his life through us. That's our inheritance. And so you and I, if we don't understand the wealth of our inheritance in Christ, we'll never, ever, ever walk in it. Folks, listen. It's not good enough to have facts, or even understand the fame, the glory of our inheritance. The only thing that matters, and what Paul is praying here, is that we would know the fullness of that inheritance. We would walk in it. You say, preacher, I don't understand. What are you saying? Paul's praying that God would break light. And as God broke light on us when he saved us, he would continue to break light on us that you and I would have that absolute strength in our call unto himself and that absolute assurance of what we have in Christ Jesus. And we begin to walk in it moment by moment, day by day. You know, Warren Wearsby told a story, true story, about a man named William Randolph Hearst. And William Randolph Hearst was a very, very wealthy man. And he was reading an article about a valuable, valuable piece of art. And William Randolph Hearst called his buyer and said, I want you to search the world over and I want you to find this piece of art. Money doesn't matter. I want this piece of art that he read about. His buyer spent weeks and months looking for that piece of art. And then one day that buyer came back to Mr. Hurst. And he said, sir, he said, I found that piece of art. He said, how much? He said, sir, it's been in one of your warehouses for many years. You already own it. Here's the principle, folks. We already have the inheritance. But do we know we have it? And do we know what we have? Because if I don't know what I have, I can't enjoy what I have. I can't experience what I have. I can't walk in what I have. So here's what Paul's praying. Paul's praying that you and I would have wisdom and revelation, that we would... Walk in the fullness of him, understanding the fullness of God in our life, intimacy. But he's also praying we'd have illumination. Illumination to know our calling of salvation and illumination to know the glory of his inheritance that he's placed within me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, did God put a treasure in earthen vessels. And that treasure is Christ. Why did God put that treasure in us earthen vessels? For us to just stick away? I know I got him. I'm good. Or did God put that treasure in us? That we could walk in, enjoy, experience. The treasure trove in which that treasure brings. Christ in us. The hope of all glory. Do you know what you have? I want to strongly encourage you. If you want to know what to pray for me, if you want to know what to pray for our church, if you want to know what to pray for yourself, why don't you start by just praying, God, would you give me wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you? Would you bring me to the place that I walk in such an intimacy with you, such a fullness of you? And Father, would you enlighten my heart that I know the fullness of the hope of my calling when you save me. But I would know the inheritance, what it means, how to live out the inheritance you've placed within me when you saved me, Christ, Christ in me. I want to challenge you. Would you pray that on a daily basis? It'll help you now. Here's the thing. If you pray it, God will take you up on it. May cost you some things. May cost you a lot of time. But here's the thing. Here's what I found. I never have trouble giving up something that I have a greater desire for something else. See, if I have a greater desire for something else, I don't mind giving up what I used to have a desire for. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for your provision. Father, thank you that you want to have fellowship, intimate fellowship with us. As I pray for me. I continue to pray. That my intimacy with you would be of such. That your voice is far louder in my heart than any other voice of my flesh or of this world. That I would sense your voice above every other voice. Your leading above every other leading. Your guiding above every other guidance. Oh, Father, would you work that in us here at Liberty? Would you work it in every church? And, Father, would you work it in me? Father, I thank you. Father, when you saved us, you set us on a course. We know you in salvation. But, oh, Father, that we would know you In fullness. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you for what you do. In bringing us to that place. In Jesus holy, precious, and mighty name. Amen.